0: Hey, good evening. good evening. Good evening. A thank you to Reb Yisrael Persky for generously sponsoring tonight's cheer. He's doing so in honor of the new shul and in honor of all of the tireless effort and devotion, time and energy that was poured into the uh, the beautification of this new building by our very own Rubschraga Greenbaum. So thank you, Mr. Uh, Persky, for sponsoring. We are up to the, the third and last discussion here regarding OCD, anxiety, and halacha. And tonight's discussion is entitled The Daily Battle. Here we'll explore some guidance from Gedoli Yisrael on the topic, and uh, what we did last time is we, we began to discuss the, at least the foundation of the treatment. Right? How, do we, how do we grapple with this issue with ourselves, trying to help others? And the foundation we established was we have to be open to share what's happening within us, and that itself is incredibly therapeutic. We look for those ancheimada, talmidechachamim, people who could understand, who could listen, who could have compassion, and hopefully counsel. But the uh, the first step is there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to feel embarrassed by. It's like any other physical issue that I might have. If my ankle is hurting and it's not going away eventually, with my wife nagging me sufficiently, I will see a doctor. And the same thing should be true with our mental health as well. Tonight we delve more on the, what exactly are some of the, the major treatments out there, both from the, the research, from the, the mental health field, and also from the halacha and hashkafic angle. The first line treatment of OCD is exposure and response prevention, which is basically it's a type of um, a CBT which is used to expose you to the very thing, the very activity, the very experience that usually causes that anxiety, that obsession, and therefore the compulsion. But being exposed to this particular behavior is basically over a long period of time, if we're consistent, it could ease the pain and ease the, the discomfort. So, for example, a classic case would be, right, someone is afraid of ever touching a doorknob because of the germs. And when they have to, they wash their hands right away, immediately afterwards, and they do so vigorously. So an example of exposure therapy would be you place your hand on the doorknob and you not only hold on to it but you maneuver your hand slowly getting off all of the grease and the schmutz that might be there making sure it goes from the metal onto the palm of your hand and then after you do that for a while don't wash your hand right away. Let it sit there, let it simmer. Which is extremely difficult to do if I've had that that obsessive thought and therefore the compulsion of cleaning my hands for years. This, This whole process can be torturous. But this is one of the most effective ways of treating OCD, obviously with the guidance of a professional who knows what they're doing. Now, To arrive at a greater state of mental health, the goal is not to choose between religion and sanity. We believe wholeheartedly that not only can Yiddishkeit coincide with sanity, but when it's done well and it's done right, it enhances sanity. So the goal here is on one hand, we have different methods, the broader term of exposure and uh, response prevention, We're trying to find ways to violate the laws of OCD, so to speak, without violating the laws of halacha. So how do we do that? So the first step is just to appreciate this wisdom, the idea of going to the other extreme to try to get oneself back in the center is something that the Rambam shares with us famously, the Rambam writes in a few different places that the derech and soy, the middle path, is always what we're striving for. Being stuck in the extreme on, on either side of the spectrum is, uh, is an unhealthy place to be. What do I do, though, when I find myself veering off to one of those extremes? Right, so, for example, the Rambam says, Im hayagov I find myself being overly confident and arrogant and looking down at others and always feeling that they're inferior. So, the advice of the Rambam is, Go to the opposite extreme and conduct yourself with disgrace and sit lower than the lowest people and wear clothing that's embarrassing and you act this way for enough time, eventually, by going to the opposite extreme, I'll get back into that middle path. Very interesting advice. The Rambam writes, once you get back to that middle path, the goal is to maintain that derech, that path, the rest of your life. And I think part of the, uh, the deeper understanding of the Rambam is if we have this tendency to be more extreme, it could be I was on this side for a while and now I'm trying to move myself back to the center and I do so by going to the opposite extreme, it might feel more comfortable to stay in the opposite extreme because I have a tendency towards that which is extreme. So the Rambam's saying, no, the goal is to get back to the middle and then try to maintain that derech and try to maintain that golden means. Now, there's a very important caveat in how to understand this idea of the Rambam. He's not saying the, uh, the extreme is by definition harmful and negative. Too cold, no good. Too hot, stay away from. Just lukewarm. Everything should be lukewarm. Don't be too selfless and loving and generous. And don't be too stingy and cold and callous. I kind of care a little bit. Smile, but not too much. Right? Just lukewarm. That's not what the Rambam's saying. The Rambam's telling us What's dangerous about either extreme is when I'm not in control of putting myself into that extreme. If, if the, the machshava, the thoughts, the obsessions, the behaviors control me, so that means I am not the Baal Midos. I'm not really in charge or in control of the way I'm feeling and, and, and how I'm responding to those feelings. The derech in this middle path, means that I'm able to have control over myself to the extent that I can choose what direction to go. I can tap into the right Mida in the right time. Mida that we usually translate as a, as a character trait really means measure. Because that's exactly what it is. I having the ability to... Find the proper measure of this feeling or this emotion in the proper place. So, going to the extreme could be the call of the hour. Sometimes, of course, you want to be super selfless and loving and altruistic. Right? You want to be burning hot. And other times, you have to be ice cold. You have to be strong. You have to be principled. But the middle path is, I'm in control of those feelings. Those feelings are not in control of me. So the idea of exposure and response prevention is really along the lines of the Rambams teaching us. Sometimes we have to go and do things, break out of our comfort zone to get back to that place where I have more control over myself. Now, it's interesting, in Jewish history, if you were to ask most people, what Torah personality of the 20th century stands out as someone who was extremely meticulous, who' medactic in halacham? More. The Briskerrov. right? The briskerrov is known, and we have many first-hand accounts of the, the, the sensitivity and the diligence and, and the, the desire to make sure to be Yodzeh according to all opinions, that was the rub's personality. Does that mean he was a very intense, very stressed out person? Not at all. We actually find the, uh, the opposite of that. There's a beautiful letter here written by Rav Shmuel Shapiro, who was a relative of the Briskarov and also a good friend. This letter was written in 1941, when the Briskarov already made it to Yerushalayim and uh, his wife and children were still in Europe, in danger. Obviously, living in that sense of, of instability was a very difficult time and place to live. Reh Moshe Shmuel Shapiro writes a letter, though, after spending some time with the Briskerov. I greatly miss the life of Yerushalayim. Above all, the simcha of the Briskerov's house had a great influence on me. There again, I had again lived, I had a living image of a life of simcha, and from that experience, my innate desire for a life of happiness was strengthened once more. And I was reminded by the home of the Briskerov of how much a strong family life brings with it simchas hadas. Right? Simchas hadas is the tranquility, the joy of the mind. What a pleasant surprise it was for me to find that we have such a corner filled with joy in our own family. So it's an amazing insight. This was the description of the house of the briskarov as he's living alone in Jerusalem in 1941, not knowing the fate of his wife and his children. Someone who was always described as being very machmir and very meticulous. But yet the personality was simcha. The reason for this is because he was in control over the way he was practicing, the way he was engaging in Torah, in halakha. It wasn't because I have this anxiety that I need to do the mitzvah in three different ways to therefore feel comfortable to somehow soothe that fear that I have. But it was coming from the das. It was coming from the intellect. He had a particular way of engaging in halacha, that he wanted to be mekayim, he wanted to fulfill many different opinions. And therefore he did. And when he said shema, he would say shema in a few different ways to make sure that the enunciation, right, the the, the way he he was articulating the words, was correct. However, when he was in Switzerland, he was there for health reasons. It happened to be that He was the yard side of his father, so he davened for the tzibor, he led the davening himself. And to the surprise of all of those who knew how he davened usually, when he got up to Shema, he said at one time, it was smooth, it was straight, and he didn't repeat it a second time. And that wasn't his derech, that wasn't his way of saying Shema. So when he explained that after Shachos was over, he said, it's very simple. When I'm davening by myself, I'm not leading the tfila. People aren't necessarily waiting for me. So I, I take my time, and I say it in a few different ways to make sure that I'm fulfilling all the different opinions. But here I'm the one leading the, the, the davening. I don't want them to be waiting for me. And he didn't feel anxious afterwards. This is not the right thing. This is not the Ratun hashem, and therefore... I feel totally comfortable saying it one time, although usually I'll say it three times. So here we have a description, a living example of someone who can be very meticulous, but it's coming from a healthy place, a place of joy, a place of das. It's not coming from a need to, to somehow fill the, uh, the anxious feelings. What I'd like to do is go on a quick journey together. We're going to read a few of the famous letters of the stipler, Rav Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky, Sadik Tzadik, V'Kodesh Mrocha. <clears throat> he was the father of Chaim Kanievsky. He has a few well-known letters on the topic, addressing different examples of OCD within halacha. I want to read carefully the basic advice, the direction that he gives, And then after going through four or five of these letters, I'd like to try to find what is the kernel, what is the common thread that connects every aspect of the hadracha, of the direction of the stipler. Sounds like fun? Okay. So letter number one is on page nine. This is a letter addressing what to do when someone is suffering from... OCD, and therefore his entire Judaism becomes a burden, it becomes a source of pressure. He says we have to remind ourselves that everything in the Torah is directly from Hashem. And the same HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, who said, This is Asr, says this is Mutr. Meaning the same Shulchan Araf that we live by that says this particular behavior is not okay, and we believe it, so when the Shulchan Aruch says that this particular behavior is okay, we also believe it, and we accept it, and we embrace it. If a person says, or a person feels that although the Shulchan Aruch says this is permissible, although this might be the conclusion of the Poskim. I don't feel so comfortable following this leniency. And I think I'm being machmir. I think this is a a healthy expression of Yir Shamayim. Explains a stipler. I'm violating one of the most fundamental principles of Torah. The Torah has klolen, We have guiding principles how to live life. How to paskin halacha. If I'm not accepting one of those guiding principles because I don't feel comfortable with it, that means on some level I'm denying the, the truth of this aspect of Torah. And therefore, the first thing the stipler says is we have to know what the halacha is and what it's not in every case where I'm struggling, like the example we quoted from the Dubna Magid, when I'm carrying that really, really heavy suitcase, and Hashem says, that's such a burden, that's not my mitzvah, that's your own baggage. So when I find myself schlepping, I have to make sure, let me inquire, let me explore, what is the halacha? And I will follow that according to the, the guidance of Poskim And anything more, I will not do. Even if it makes me feel more comfortable to add on to what the Shulchan Aruch says, I'm not going to allow myself to do so. The second point, he says, atzmo, A person who feels this tension within his halacha, within his shmiras HaTorah, There has to be a point, right? Again, we're trying to break the laws of OCD without chas v'sholom breaking the laws of halacha. So the first step is I have to know exactly what the halacha requires from me. The way that I do that is, I go to someone more knowledgeable than myself, who has more of a mastery of the halacha than I do, and I say, I am suffering greatly I need you to tell me exactly what needs to be done and how to do it. And part of that process explains the stipler, is (laughs) Usually, when a Jew asks a question and then I receive an answer, so what's my my next move? I ask a follow-up question. And then you try to answer that. And then I ask a contradiction. And you try to explain. And then I say, but how does that make sense? Right? And we could have a 45-minute conversation that all started from the fact that when you gave me the answer, I wanted to explore further. Is that a healthy thing, generally speaking? Yes, we thrive on that, right? How boring life would be if we didn't cherish asking questions. However, when a person's suffering with obsessive, compulsive behavior. Says the stipler, you find that Rob, you find that Posick, you find that Rebbe. You say, guide me, and I'm not going to ask why you're giving me this particular ruling. Because once there are reasons behind it, then things become hazy, and maybe that reason doesn't apply here, and maybe the advice he gave me doesn't really work in this situation. So I have to ask, and I have to accept the answer without probing, which might be one of the hardest things to do for someone who has a lot of questions. But then he concludes by saying, This has been tried and tested. You approach the Rebbe, you ask the halacha, you don't get complicated, no thumb movements back and forth, how and where and when, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. But the Stipler cautions, if we don't have that gevura, if we don't muster that courage to be able just to follow the guidance of someone more knowledgeable than myself, then chas v'shalom yocha lipo lemach norah, I could be led if I leave this illness unchecked, into a very deep and dark place, where not only my Judaism will suffer, but my whole life will be more and more miserable. That's letter number one. Letter number two, this is regarding a young man who had a hard time with davening. Like we mentioned, a very common example of OCD in halacha, is having to repeat words over and over again. And he also had a hard time with feeling comfortable his tefillin was in the right place. The tefillin shell roche needs to be between your eyes. And he found himself constantly checking and never feeling comfortable. And the third issue was regarding cleanliness. Um, always feeling that Maybe he had to wash his hands again because of religious reasons. So says the stipler, when it comes to davening, let's listen very carefully. Take a sitter, try to look inside at the words, daven. And whatever you already said, don't go back and try to say it again. No matter what, Even if you think you didn't say it well, even if you think you botched it up, even if you think you skipped a couple of words, do not go back. And you should know, based on halacha, you are not obligated to do anything more. And again, he reiterates, when you're giving this advice to someone, who's suffering with OCD, and it's manifesting itself in his davening, you say it behechle. I'm saying it unequivocally, with no explanations, no back and forth. This is the halacha, say it once and move on, no matter what. Regarding cleaning oneself, this particular young man was concerned that after using the bathroom, he wasn't clean enough to now go and daven. And speaking to people who suffer in this particular area, it could be torturous. Having that that anxiety, that ongoing feeling of, of not being clean enough to get back into shul. And very common, a person could miss the majority of davening because they're so overwhelmed with the concern that maybe they're not clean enough to get back to tefillin. So to this, the stipler says, we have to know the halacha. What does the halacha require from someone regarding how clean do you have to be to approach Hashem and tefillah? He says, in the olden days, going back to the times of the Gemara, and when you see Gemaras like this, it gives you such a feeling of gratitude that we no longer live 1500 years ago. What does the Gemara speak about? That they would clean themselves off with stones They would set aside stones before Shabbos because generally stones are muktzo. Can you imagine the conversation? Mother's in the kitchen. Shandold, please put aside the the stones for Shabbos. Make sure to get the smooth ones this time. (laughs) Right? That was life. How many stones are you required to, to use to make sure that you're clean enough to go back in the davening? Three. So the stipler quoting from the, the Divrei Chaim, explains, what's the equivalent to three stones? He says, you take five, maybe six, pieces of paper or tissue altogether, show sure, that should be sufficient. Now it's true the halacha says that you want to be clean to the point where there's not even a mashuhu, there's not even a little shmutz, but the Halacha also says that lo nitn the Torah The Torah was not given to angels. So obviously you could only do what's, respect, what's, what's expected. And explains the divrei and what's expected is to do the equivalent of three stones, which is five or six different papers, and then lo Yashkiach Klal im lo, don't think about it again. But maybe I'm not fully clean. What's the answer? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is only asking you to follow the halacha. Lo The Torah is not given to angels. What is the halacha? The Divrei Chaim is telling us the halacha. Okay? What actually is going on? Maybe there's something left? That's not my responsibility. And the last point he makes regarding the placement of the tefillin, again, <laughs> it gets back to that first step. What does the halacha actually require from you regarding having your tefillin shel rosh b'nei necha? Does it have to be literally Ben necha that you take a ruler and make sure it's equal distance? And the answer is no. It's a hashara, right? It's a basic, uh, you know, it's it's a feel. You take your hands, you do this. There's no need to measure it. So if it's a little bit more to the right, a little bit more to the left, you're still yotzei. That's still considered bein necha. He ends up this letter by saying, the guiding principle is, don't do more than your Rebbeim do. If this is what my Rebbe does, this is what my Rosh Hashiva does, this is what all the great people do that I look up to, if you feel that you need to be doing more, that's a red flag. Okay, that's letter number two. Letter number three, is regarding someone who had a very difficult time saying Kriyishma because he would constantly be concerned he didn't have the right kavana. He wasn't thinking about it well enough as he was saying Kriyashma. So it would end up taking him a long time to say Shma. To this, the stipler writes, similar to what he said in the other letter, say it one time, and that's it. Whether or not you think you got it, doesn't make a difference, one time, and move on. Regarding a different issue of, it is to uh, daven when a person needs to use the bathroom. Now, there are halachas in this regard. This is an orachayim sadi base. However, generally speaking, if a person's healthy, it's not that much of a dilemma. I know if I have to go to the bathroom, I'll go before davening. If I don't have to go to the bathroom, then I'm good. I'll daven. However, this becomes an obsession, and I'm always thinking and questioning do I have to go to the bathroom? Usually the answer to that question is now I do. <laughs> right? That's the way the mind works. So the stipler here again. He helps us. What is the requirement? What is the halacha? And he quotes the Eshel of Ram, who says, Having to go to the bathroom where it's not appropriate to daven means you really have to go to the bathroom. Where if you were in a different setting and I wasn't concerned about davening, I was in the middle of schmoozing with friends, or I was in, at my office doing work on the computer and I could be Masiyach Das, I could just think about something else, I'm not going to get up now and go to the bathroom, I'm totally fine and comfortable and focused on what I'm doing, that means you don't have to go to the bathroom. If the only reason you think you do is because you asked the question, then the real answer is, you don't. The last letter we'll see from the stipler, and then we'll try to bring it all together, this is referring to one who... Was constantly concerned that he was touching parts of his body that required Natilas Yadayim. And the stifler says regarding the, the struggle of Lachshos tamid Shemon Noga Bamokum Hato Natila, that a person's always concerned that maybe he touched an area that requires washing, you should explain to him as follows. And although this is one particular case of an example of OCD in halacha, this has many, many applications. You tell them as follows Shikol svekos hula kula. Anytime you have a question that maybe I need to wash my hands, maybe I'm not 100% clean, maybe I didn't say the word correctly. Any time you have a maybe going through your head, even if you think you're pretty sure that I have to wash my hands, or I have to say Shema again, every Suffolk kezeh lakula we paskin, you go leniently, and you do not wash your hands, and you do not say Shema again. It's Suffolk, lakula. that is the general, that's the klal gadol, the guiding principle when it comes to many of these areas. How do I react to that obsessive thought that's now urging me, it's compelling me to to act out on that compulsion? I tell myself, it doesn't make a difference what actually happened. The only thing I need to do in my life, in my Yiddishkeit, for my health and my sanity and for my family, all I have to do is follow the halakha. Hashem wants nothing more than me following the halakha. I get advice, I understand what it is in every area that I'm struggling with, and I do no more than what the halakha mandates. In a sense, <clears throat> if you had to now summarize all of these different points of the stipler regarding examples of OCD, How would you explain? What's the mantra? What's the the guiding light that that the stipler is sharing with us and how we respond to obsessive-compulsive behavior? If you had to encapsulate it, it would be quite simple. You don't have to invalidate your thinking process. You don't have to explain that whatever I'm concerned about didn't really happen and I'm crazy. I'm not crazy, but I have concerns. I don't have to invalidate those thoughts. Right? To fight against the obsession is something that's only counterproductive. Right? One one classic example is when it comes to different hirhurim, different thoughts that enter my mind. If there's an inappropriate idea, that comes into my head what do I do now how do I deal with that inappropriate idea an image so option number one is stop thinking stop thinking about that you're so evil you're gonna go you stop it how well does that work you're feeding fuel to the fire right Yisrael Salanter writes about this at great length in one of his letters. He says, the only way to combat machshava, the way to fight against thoughts that I don't want to have, is not to fight. Don't fight. You try to gently, benachas, you transition to think about something else. Right? The way the human mind works is that if you're focused on something, it's hard to also have something else in mind at the same time. That's why the greatest opportunity for thoughts flooding our mind is during Shmona Esrei, when we're not thinking about anything. right? <laughs> so, but that's the, that's the advice. Don't fight against the obsession, because then you're just, you're creating this inner turmoil, and now you're, you're making yourself focus on it more. I have to shift the focus gently. That's the, the underlying issue here in every piece of advice from the stipler. You don't have to invalidate your concern. Maybe you did touch a place, maybe you didn't. Maybe you should wash your hands, maybe you don't have to. Maybe you didn't say the bracha correctly. Maybe! But, but who cares? Why do you care that you didn't say the bracha well? well but I, I want to fulfill the mitzvah if what you really want to do is to fulfill the will of God, what does God want from me? He wants me to follow halacha. If the halacha is telling me that if I'm not sure what took place in any of these scenarios, be mekel, be lenient, don't repeat it. So then that's all I need to do. Now I'll end with something interesting. If you ask the question, and again, this is not something to get into because you want to avoid the, the lumdus, the technicalities of it, but if you ask the question just from an objective standpoint, how can you tell a guy not to repeat the bracha, not to repeat Shema, in a situation where he, he's really concerned he didn't say it? That's a bit of say. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm neglecting to do a mitzvah. How could you say it doesn't make a difference? Just, just keep on moving on. <clears throat> so there's a tshuva, there's a, a letter from Rav Usher Weiss. Rav Usher Weiss is one of the contemporary gedolim in Eretz Yisrael, who writes extensively on medical issues within halacha. And in this particular tshuva, He's addressing a Talmud Hachem Muflog, someone who was very, very accomplished in his learning, who was suffering greatly from OCD. And because of that, he wasn't able to daven correctly. He wasn't able to get the words out. He would be constantly repeating himself. It would take him a long time to daven. And you could imagine that pain and the suffering that he was experiencing. Cesar Vosher Weiss what the medical professionals, the mental health professionals are telling you. Namely, never go back. Never try to say it again. Right, exactly what the stipler said in his letters, this is the, the opinion as well from the mental health professionals. Keep on going, don't allow yourself to try to say it a second and a third time. And if you continue with the guidance of mir Hashem of someone who could really lead you, if you continue following this path, you will regain control over your life. Now, your question to me, writes of Usher Weiss, Tamil Zen Nafsho paraphrasing Esther when she was speaking Dachash Verosh. This, this this Torah scholar was asking: Am I allowed to follow the advice of the psychologist? Knowing full well that there could be times where if I keep on going, I'm not actually doing the halacha. Am I allowed to follow that advice? <coughs> Writes from Usher Weiss. We're not going to go through the entire tshuva. But I'll just share with you one line. Nira <speaking in Hebrew> b'zeh It appears to me the halacha is, D'reshis chovaso shel ish Your first obligation... Lasso says, "Kol ha nidrash al menas limso mazurim marpa le is to do everything you can to deserve to to, to arrive at that refuah that you desperately deserve." Uleshem kach, and therefore muter lo af lavar al mitzvah ha If by following the advice and the counsel of the rofid of the professionals you might miss out on a mitzvah here or there, even if that is the case, that's not only acceptable, but you're obligated to follow the advice of the medical professionals. Now, how do we explain that? How are you allowed to potentially do something where I'm missing out on a mitzvah? So he says the following idea. and This we find in many sources. If the only way for me to buy a lulav and esrog before Sukkot is, is to spend hundred thousand dollars, and that would basically wipe me out. Right, Halaviah had that to be wiped out, but that would wipe me out. Am I obligated to purchase a lulav and esrog? If I don't, I'm not going to to fulfill the mitzvah. So the halach is no. If it's more than a chomesh, more than 20% of your assets, you are not obligated to spend more than that to fulfill a mitzvah. So explains with Asher Weiss, as well as many, many other achronim, it's not limited to spending this much amount of money where you're no longer obligated. It's true also when it comes to physical and mental health. If by eating matzah on Pesach, Right, There is no oat matzah available this year. And the only matzah I have available is the regular, old-fashioned wheat matzah. And when I eat even the smallest kazayas, I'm going to be knocked out for a week and a half. Is it going to kill me? No! It's not pikuach nefesh. But it'll make me a cholah. It'll make me sick in bed for a week and a half. Do I still have to eat the matzah? The answer is no. Because a Kaddish Baruch says... I want you to do my mitzvot, desperately, because you connect with me through every mitzvah. But I don't ask of you to destroy yourself financially, and I don't ask of you to harm yourself physically or psychologically. If you were to ask this person suffering from OCD, if you could spend 20% of your assets and have a complete and total cure would you do it? What would the response be? You better believe it. Forget my assets. I would go and borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and be meshuba to pay it back for the next 80 years if I could somehow get to a place where I'm healthy and happy and functioning. If that's the case, explains of Usher Weiss, even if theoretically by following the advice of the doctors, you might miss out on a mitzvah here or there, in the long run, you're being makayim, you're fulfilling the ultimate mitzvah, which is getting yourself back to a place where I could live with a sense of simcha, of shleimus, of wholesomeness. That's the ultimate mitzvah. Now, obviously, these types of of ideas are very difficult and dangerous to apply at home. Once you start going down this path of the ends potentially justifying the means, you could come up with Many, many crazy and warped ideas. So this is not something that we should do ourselves, but a little bit of an insight into the world of OCD, some of the common challenges, some of the ways to detect and discern what's coming from a healthy place, what's coming from an unhealthy place, and the obligation we have to get ourselves to a place that we could live a happy, fulfilled life, and to get others to that place as well. And uh, not only are we allowed to, but we're encouraged to follow the advice of the mental health professionals in these particular examples. Do what you can. The ultimate is I have to follow the halacha. Everything else is just a distraction. Have a wonderful evening.